Hey, Bible scholars, it's day 25 on our 40-day tour through the Gospel of John. We're up to John 12, so open your Bibles there. Uh, Going to cover verses 1 to 26 today, which comes to us as really three different scenes that all make a similar point. And so we're going to look at each of these three scenes briefly, but we'll start with the third one and work our way back because I think that's going to reveal some important things as we go. In the third scene, Jesus says this, It's time now for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Remember, the Greek word for glory is doxa. It means heaven touches earth. And then he uses a, an illustration about a, a, a kernel of wheat and a, and, a, and a harvest that it produces. It reminds me of when I was in third grade. Before our family moved to Chicago, uh, my dad was a pastor of a Lutheran church in Great Falls, Montana, big sky country, and we, we loved it. In that church, there was the Halverson family who uh, owned and farmed a, a ranch and, and wheat farm, big one, outside of town in Montana. And they invited our whole family out for a meal. And this was during harvest time. I didn't really know what that meant. And my dad was trying to explain it to me on the way. And I had a lot of questions for my mom and dad. And when I got to the, to the ranch, I had even more questions. When we got there, Mr. Halverson told us, he said, who, he asked us, who wants to ride in the combine? And man, my hand shot up. So did my brothers. So we took turns. When it was my turn, I just thought it was the coolest thing. Mr. Halverson even let me like hold the wheel for part of the time as we're harvesting this wheat. And I'm, I, I, as far as I knew, I was like actually bringing it in, doing all the work. Of course, it was him who was doing it. He's just letting me think I was doing it. But it was, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen that I, it was almost magic, this combine. You know, first of all, we're sitting way up high in the top of this combine and looking down on the wheat, and there's this this spinning kind of uh, movement that's cutting the wheat and bringing it into the combine and somehow, to me, magically processing it. And then it would shoot out to uh, one of his sons driving a pickup, and they'd rotate through, and the, and the wheat would fill up the back of the pickups, and they just keep coming and coming and coming. That whole magical moment is something that Jesus uses as an illustration to describe what he's about to do, the sacrifice he's about to make, his death on the cross, but his focus is on what that death is going to produce. He says this, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives, of new lives. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and says, uh, when a seed, the seed of God's word, is planted in good soil, the receptive soil of our hearts and souls, when we're willing to receive God's word, then it's going to produce an abundant harvest up to a hundred times more than that little seed. We know from John's gospel, from our reading so far, that the word of God is Jesus Christ. And so when the word of God, when Jesus Christ is planted inside our hearts and minds and souls, and we're open to it and receptive to it and, and believe in it and trust in it, it produces new life. It produces an abundant harvest. It's, it's a miracle. It's almost magical how we're transformed. How a little tiny seed, I mean, that was my big question. How do you get wheat fields this big where the waving wheat will sure smells sweet when the wind comes? No, that's Oklahoma. This was Montana. But how do you get a big wheat field like this out of such tiny little seeds? Well, Jesus says it. If I, if I sacrifice my life for the world, it's going to produce this abundant harvest, this harvest of new and everlasting life.
Then Jesus goes on to say, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you care nothing of your life in this world, you're going to keep it for eternity. And anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. I cannot emphasize the follow me part of this enough. And that's kind of a tricky thing in our world today because the world almost has made an idol out of leadership. Mm, do not misunderstand me. The church of, of Christ absolutely needs faithful and humble leaders in the world today, influencers. We need more and more leaders all the time. But maybe even more than that, what we need is faithful followers, people who know that they're following Jesus Christ, because as far as I'm concerned, the best way to become a faithful leader is to make sure you're being a faithful follower. A faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going to allow Christ to produce that abundant harvest inside of you that, that produces for, for the world around you. The goal is not leadership. The, the real goal is followership. It's to be faithful in our following of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, it makes all the difference. So now let's go back to those first two scenes. The second scene, it's Palm Sunday, and it's John, John's gospel's version of the Palm Sunday story. And Jesus is there, and he's fulfilling prophecies, and he's riding on the colt of a donkey, and the people are pulling down palm branches. Here's a dried up palm branch from last, last year's Palm Sunday service, and they're hailing him as a king. It takes us back to um, the Bible reading from a few episodes ago in John 10, where uh, it says it's Hanukkah time. Well, Hanukkah was the holiday and still is the holiday that reminds us of Judas Maccabeus in 164 BC, uh, taking over the enemy nation that had invaded Jerusalem and defiled the temple. Judas Maccabeus leads a force that pushes out the enemy, and then he comes riding in a victory march into the city of Jerusalem, and people pull down palm branches, and they hail him as their new king. It doesn't happen again until Jesus, the carpenter's kid from Nazareth, comes riding in to the holy city of Jerusalem and they're hailing him as king and they're pulling down palm branches because they want Jesus to be just like Judas Maccabeus, this heroic warrior king. They want him just to, to be just like King David. They want to follow Jesus to take over the temple, and they want to follow Jesus to take over Rome, maybe, and they want to rise up with him. As he rises to power, they'll rise to power. So that's their goal. Lead us, Jesus. Hosanna means God save us. Save us from bad religion. Save us from bad government. That's got to be the ultimate goal in life, right? That's got to be the goal of our faith is to fix the government, is to fix bad religion. That's what it is. Yeah, if we're trying to lead Jesus. If we follow Jesus, he's going to lead us somewhere else, somewhere way better. He's going to lead us to a cross where ultimately his throne is not a, a chair that, that, uh, of, of power above the world, but a cross of humility where he dies as a sacrifice, the kernel of wheat that dies inside the ground so it can produce this abundant harvest of new life. And the crown that he wears is a crown of thorns. And the kingdom that he reigns over is the king of all kings. Well, this is the best part. It isn't just one nation or even one empire. It's way bigger than that. It's eternal and it's timeless and it is without end. So Jesus comes riding in on Palm Sunday and they hail him as their king, waving the palm branches. But they don't necessarily understand where he's leading yet. Make sure you do. <laughs> Make sure that you follow Jesus instead of trying to lead Jesus in your spiritual life. That takes humility. That takes more following than leading. 
But again, being a faithful follower is what leads to being faithful leaders. Being a faithful follower in a land of leaders is what our world needs, maybe more than almost anything. Because when we always, when we want to lead and we want to have the power and we want to have the control, we get into all sorts of senseless arguments and, and divisive debates. And that happens in our world all the time these days. And that takes us to our first scene. And, and we'll wrap up here for today. Jesus is there and in Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. You remember Bethany's the place where he raised Lazarus from the dead. So Martha and Mary are both there. Martha's making the meal. Uh, Mary's not. And if you know anything about their story and personalities from Luke 10, that just rings true. Lazarus is there, which is pretty cool, which reminds us he's not a ghost. He's back to life and he's eating. But then this awkward fight breaks out. I don't know about you, but when I watch like TV shows, dramas, sitcoms, whatever it might be, I always cringe just a little bit when, when, when it turns into a fight or an argument amongst the characters, when, when they start going after each other. But that's exactly what happens here. Because Mary starts to anoint Jesus' body with this really expensive perfume, enough perfume to, to, to cost a year's wages. And Judas, the betrayer, who's about to betray Jesus, Judas Iscariot, points that out. He's the treasurer for the disciples. And John makes the point of saying, yeah, he was a treasurer who was a thief. He used to steal money from, from the movement for himself. But he was always quick to point out the flaws of somebody else, John is making sure we understand. Judas is mad at Mary because she's making a spectacle of herself. She's, she's anointing his body and wiping it off with hair. And it's a little awkward for, for him and maybe for some others who, who maybe don't understand the moment. Mary understands the moment because she follows Jesus faithfully, because she sits down at his feet and worships him and receives him instead of being like Judas and is trying to lead Jesus. She understands that Jesus is about to come into his glory and that means he's going to have to die. And so by anointing Jesus' body, she's, she's offering a prelude of the anointing that happens according to the Jewish custom on dead bodies in their day. Jesus understands this. Mary understands this. Judas does not. Mary is following. Judas is trying to lead. Jesus, I don't want to follow you if you go here. You have to come follow me. What about you? Are you going to lead Jesus today? Or will you faithfully follow because he's calling? And when we follow him, that's when life gets good. We'll see you tomorrow. Please like, review, and share on whatever platform you're using. That helps us get the word out. And join us for weekend worship. You can go to lutheranchurchofhope.org to find out how. We'll see you there. Bye.